Hello, and welcome back to Full Time with Meg Linehan, which is a podcast about women's soccer, of which we certainly have plenty to discuss this week. Welcome to episode three. I am joined today by Sandra Herrera, and if you're watching these games on CBS All Access and you're tuning in a little early or sticking around after the final whistle, then you've definitely seen her leading their analysis of the Challenge Cup. So we're recording this episode on Tuesday, July 7th, so there's still one more uh, day of games between me recording this and then the episode dropping on Thursday, so no spoilers from me on the games, but a couple of NWSL news items before we get to the main interview for today's episode. Andrew Kay and Andrew Doss have reported the NWSL is on the giant list of businesses that received a Paycheck Protection Program loan during the pandemic. NWSL Commissioner Lisa Baird spoke to them for the story at the New York Times, saying the money went directly to player salaries. The loan was between $1 and $2 million, and according to public information, helped retain 213 jobs. As Baird told the Andrews, as I like to call them, since I sat next to both of them for most of the World Cup last summer, while there were internal discussions between the league and the owners and other stakeholders about the potential optics of actually asking for this money and this loan, um, the player compensation dominates the league's monthly expenses, and it was imperative for them to continue paying their salaries. So Baird said in the article that benefit outweighed anything that we could think of in terms of optics. So basically, this loan really kept the league alive until they could actually get the Challenge Cup planned and then underway. Also in the NWSL, Sky Blue FC announced that they sold over $30,000 in merchandise thanks to the release of their new 2020 primary kit and additional merchandise. That number is an all-time high for the club, and they wrote in their release it nearly doubled the club's previous single-day record. The primary kit represented more than half of the sales and then sold out on the day of the release because, as per usual, uh, demand always exceeds the actual supply. All right, so our guest today is Sandra Herrera, and my favorite new fact about Sandra is that she gets introduced on CBS broadcasts as NWSL expert. That's that's definitely uh, her new title. She should just, I don't know why she hasn't changed her Twitter bio yet, but Sandra's here to talk to us about working for CBS and, and being part of the ring light gang and, and being real big time, but also we want to talk about Challenge Cup and NWSL coverage and all that kind of fun stuff. So Sandra... Hi, hello. I enjoy your snapback. Um, hopefully people see this on social media when we post the clip, but it is full on Chicago. And I appreciate your commitment to Chicago. Hey, man. That's who I am. Thanks so much for <laughs> letting me come on here and be me. Appreciate you. Yeah. I can hit you with the other one, uh, too. The other, it's, a, it's a socks hat. So it's got, oh, got a lot okay. of good. All right. Got a lot yeah, of good I mean, it's just really... There's a lot. Ha- what color is it? Like a an Irish? No, is it, dude. Or is it red? It's got and- the Mexican flag on it. Oh, the Mexico. Okay, okay. Zoom in. Yeah, you gotta. There you go. All right. So now that that's set, first I want to start us off with. I mean, we we talk a lot, so I know this story, but I want you to maybe give the slightly shorter version of getting the ask from CBS to come on and be their NWSL expert and. Um, you know, what you've been covering the league for now many, many years. Um, but what it's like to go from maybe the, (laughs) the indie side of it to having the bigger platform. So how did they ask you, what was the thought process like in, in taking that offer and, um, what's the leap been like for you? 
Man, I guess in just a general sense, it's just been a real experience and it's ongoing. Honestly, it hasn't uh, finished. It's something that I'm, it's a path that I'm currently on and the experience is still very much happening uh, every single minute. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I guess I should just, I'm going to shout out CBS first and just sort of give them their appropriate due and props, uh, you know, because this was something that was actually ongoing. Uh, so credit to them. They were working behind the scenes to try and seek out NWSL talent uh, to be able to bring on for this tournament. Um, you know, and like most things in the world right now, uh, they've, I don't know if we could swear on this thing, so I got to take it easy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Got, I, I personally am in favor of it. Yeah. So. I just really, we didn't talk about that before, but you know, just like <laughs> most things in the world right now, it's, it's not great. And, you know, the pandemic threw so many things into a whirlwind. And I think obviously, as we're seeing that included NWSL, that included um, coverage of that in a larger capacity. And, um, I am grateful that CBS sort of still had me in their sights, really. Um, and I'm also grateful that just the timing of everything lined up because it was obviously things were cutting it really closely to the tournament. And uh, I just was able to have the time and ability to make the space to be able to, to jump in with them. And it's been a real, like I said, just general learning experience. It's been a wild ride. It's been cool to see everyone and their uh, response to the coverage and all of the broadcasts, you know, via CBS All Access. And um, I don't know if, I think like people like you and I maybe always knew somewhere that like this league always had the potential to um, get on channels and places like this, you know, but to like see mm -hmm. it happening in real time is, uh, is real nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember texting you, it was, I guess probably the second game day being like, so wait, please tell me if you have had previous television experience because right. Like, I mean, I remember you saying to me like, okay, they're, they're talking to me about editorial coverage. Yep. Right. And then it starts with editorial coverage and then it's like, oh, wait, actually, there's this whole video component. Like you're in your house on CBS All Access doing pre and post game shows. So like, I get, did you have a lot of time to think about like, oh, this is actually going to happen? Yeah. Because I personally like I don't do live live game stuff. So I, I would be terrified. Um, so to see you just kind of like immediately sink into it has been really cool just from a personal like I'm supporting Sandra. Away. Yeah, uh, I think you hit it pretty, pretty accurately there. And some of all that I mean, there was definitely a level of fear. I mean, there's totally the the vibe of, um, you know, hitting the ground running. It's like, here you go, learn how to swim. It's, it's time to try. And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't without great support obviously um there's been a ton of support from cbs sports in terms of making sure that i'm on and available for these segments and making mm -hmm. sure that you know i have the platform to be able to engage with you know whether it's pre or post game or day before type of stuff um getting my input on segments topics of interest um but in terms of being in front of the camera and uh, providing TV analysis, like in an immediate, you know, post-game hit type of sense is not something that I actually had experience with before. I mean, this is sort of 
our deal, right? We we love to pod, right? We love to engage with each <laughs> other. We we love to have a, a you know be conversational and have discussions with each other, and um, that's sort of what uh, I've been used to. So. In that sense, it's just been trying to channel my own personal experiences and covering this league, my own personal experiences and producing the content that I have produced before in the past and just trying to package all of that in some type of capacity to be able to uh, express that to a kind of TV viewing audience. So it's Mm -hmm. been an interesting uh, collaborative effort, uh, but it's been pretty dope so far. Yeah. I think the other big takeaway is, right, you're saying, okay, podcast background, we are, I'm sure we'll talk about Southside Trap at some point in this pod. But, you know, I feel like watching you, I don't always get to watch the postgame stuff simply because I'm usually trapped in, you know, postgame nonsense for remote coverage. But in terms of like the pregame stuff that I watch, you've never really lost the sense of who you are. And like, A, obviously Chicago is always, like you're never going to pick against Chicago. That's one thing. But like, there's this reflection of years of work, right? But also years of being embedded in this culture. I'm just kind of wondering, I personally think like if I had that platform, like I would be having the conversation of my with myself of like, how do I keep this authentic to how I usually talk about this, but also in a way where you know you're getting new viewers, right? You know that uh, you're definitely the expert in this scenario. And so how do you, I guess, navigate that kind of like authentic voice while still ensuring that you're hitting what this particular TV audience, or is it you're just going for it? Yeah, I think it's a little bit, I think it's a little bit of a mix of both, man. Like, uh, obviously the vibe uh, in terms of a, a a post game or pre game like game day experience is different. Like I'm not I'm not running up to my laptop in the cabin and my snapback in my favorite seat. You know what I mean? Um but there's a certain element that I'm trying to balance within all this and that's like you said, myself being as authentic as I can be um to me. Uh, a big part of all of that has been reminding myself that, you know, the reason why I'm in the position that I am in at the moment is, you know, because I've made a choice to be authentic to myself and to always tap into who I am. You know, I, it's, it's funny bringing it up and talking all this out of the experiences of CBS. Cause I believe if I recall correctly, one of my very first hits with them, I, I apologized. Like, I apologized on camera, and I was like, I'm sorry, I'm about to choose Chicago. Like, no, who cares, man? Like, I didn't just, I didn't stop being from Chicago because I got, you know, a gig with CBS. This is, it's just part of um, who I am. You know, I'm going to, like, misquote, like, I'm going to go ahead and, like, misquote a tweet that's, like, probably the best encompassing thing of people from this city, and it, it just, it's along the lines of like, I, I wish I loved anything as much as people from Chicago love Chicago. And it's just, yeah. it's just spot on, you know? Um, and so I think it's the opportunity that I have in front of me to just sort of be able to engage NWSL audiences, the audience that already mm-hmm. exists. Cause we know there's a, a very strong dedicated audience built into this league but they're also we're also very niche right it's a niche thing and unfortunately when it comes to like niche things they're considered very specific and maybe they're not taken seriously so I think that's why it's so important 
that NWSL and CBS were able to come together and be able to make this big production, this sort of big deal about the league. And in doing that, I have to sort of channel being able to be someone who's uh, able to talk about the league holistically, all of these teams, all of these players, you know, not just the one that I'm used to covering locally and be able to do it in a way that's also engaging to new and coming fans, not just all of my, my friends, homies and colleagues who have been ride or die for me since, you know, all my day ones, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a balancing act of all of that. You know, I think, um, some of us might be forgetting that, that there's a lot of people out there who are getting exposed to NWSL for the very first time. And I'm part of that exposure. And uh, it's, it's a responsibility that I take uh, very seriously. So I'm enjoying talking about the league as a whole, all of the teams, all of the players. And, you know, when opportunity presents itself, I got to stay true to who I am. And that's what I plan on uh, doing. <laughs> All right. So let's let's actually talk about soccer since there was actually I feel like all I do now is watch soccer, which is a very uh, different experience than the past uh, few months where we were watching no sports. Um, I do want to start with the Houston Dash um, because it has been kind of fun to watch people be like the Dash are good. The Dash are good. Right. Like that's kind of good. (laughs) Right. Like that's the mood of because I feel like and I wrote about this, you know, over the weekend, like every time I've talked to a a person out of Houston over the past couple of years, they're like, no, we we're we're, we got it. Like we've we figured it out. We've got it. And when I was down in Houston for the U.S. Women's National Team uh, Olympic qualifiers, I, I sat with a whole bunch of people across the org and, you know, they were like, "Okay, you might have heard that before, but we like actually really we think it's true this year. I remember sitting with James Clarkson for like half an hour and being like, okay, I get how players would really want to play for this guy. Like, I really do get it. Um, Just kind of wondering, you know, we've got a couple games of Houston Dash under our belts. We've seen Shea Groom do some uh, true Shea Groom things. We've seen Rachel Bailey do some Rachel Bailey things. What are you, what are you thinking about the Houston Dash right now? Houston Dash are being reborn in front of our very eyes, man. And it's a beautiful thing to watch. It's been a joy to witness. Um, I'm here for all of the shade room rage goals. And I mean that you just see this, she's getting reborn right now. It's, it's with a new team. Um, you know, her multi, you know, X team, you know, we're talking about play, like and another player, like Christy Muniz. These are players who have, um, you know, they're sort of, con- I guess could be considered kind of journey women in this league. And mm-hmm. that in itself is a little bit wild to think about because NWSL is in a place now where it's achieved a bit of longevity where we're talking about how that exists, you know, whether it's a player like Jess McDonald for NC Courage or players like Mewis or, or Groom for Houston Dash. And I'm in agreement with you in terms of second year head coach, James Clarkson, you know, I feel very lucky to have been able to have spoken with him last season, you know, in his inaugural season with the Dash and then sort of had that outlook into now. And he he and I spoke a a bit about, um, you know, his vision and his uh, concept of like taking the team out of the United States and going to Mexico just for like a scrimmage, like because those type of game day experiences are important to 
building and developing your players and also establishing called like club culture. And um, mm-hmm. I remember just being very impressed with that from him and uh, that there was just a coach in the league who valued the importance of what is happening in NWSL and trying to bridge that with what is happening in the IMX Feminil. Like, uh, I don't think that you hear that that often from, you know, white, overseas coaches like that's not something that you generally hear but you're hearing it out of a play um excuse me out of a coach like like James Clarkson so it's been cool to sort of see uh what they've been trying to do the offseason that they had the players that he tried to target and bring in to this team and not just watching them get the results but hearing them talk about it you can hear the level of buy-in from these players which i'm sorry is not something that we have been used to hearing from players in houston so the mm-hmm. fact that that's being put out there that it's being put on record that they're showing us the receipts um you got to take players at their word for that so uh you know it's been a real joy to watch i think um this tournament, as it goes on, we're going to maybe see them go against uh, some other teams. Where we're going to maybe question if they can have sort of the, you know, produce sort of some of the same results. Uh, but for now, I'm having fun watching the dash. Yeah. I, one of the players that was added this offseason, um, which is a player that you have covered a lot, Katie Naughton. And <laughs> just kind of curious what you're seeing as someone who watched her for so long in Chicago what she then brought to Houston specifically, because I feel like not in particular was such a huge addition to the dash for that back line. And she's already, you know, I think that first game against Utah, there were obviously some defensive lapses and that three, three defense was optional kind of on both sides. But what are you seeing from not already that you recognize in Chicago as her particular strengths? I love the adjustments. I mean, they went from having that wild game, right? and kind of having the mental laps that they had. And then we saw them go into that second game and they got a shutout. And a huge part of that, I think, is just uh, being dedicated, you know, and being the type of player who is open to um, having the criticisms and having to make those adjustments. You know, Katie Naughton, shout out to the, you know, Chicagoland kid. She was a Red Star for a number of years, got to cover her since she got drafted into the Red Stars organization. And she's always struck me as a player who definitely has a sort of team first mentality. Um, And I think we saw that more so in her final year as a Red Star. You know, you brought in a player like Tierna Davidson. You brought in other additional pieces from that incoming draft. And it was a World Cup year. And there were a lot of things that the Red Stars were trying in terms of figuring out things on the pitch. And um, she had to see herself in a bit of a different role. And she took that on the chin, really. And she, whenever her number was called, she was, you know, trying to do her best and, and perform up to to the test. So I think, yeah, the defenders that they went out and got in the offseason for the Dash is a huge, huge testament to what they're trying to do. They, they recognized some things that needed to be tightened up on that back line specifically. And they went out and they got veteran league defenders, someone like, Katie Naughton and somebody like Megan Oyster and we're seeing that pay off for them in this tournament yeah yeah all right next next topic for challenge cup when I sent you this question I I tried to imagine you reading it but I I was having some discussions and I I don't want to shout out who with because I don't want to call them out on (laughs) their their doubt of Julie Arts but 
I think that there is kind of this question about Juilliard. So the, the question that I, as I had phrased it to you was, is Juilliard somehow still underrated as a player? Because what I think the bigger discussion is, because Juilliard is not necessarily a Marta, right? Or, you know, even a Megan Rapino, right? Like, first of all, a defender slash defensive midfielder kind of role. Second of all, she is, and this is not an insult in my book, but she is a very American player, right? Like she is, I would say, really the closest thing I've ever seen to like, if I want to define what an American player is, probably Julie Arts <laughs> is the name I'm actually thinking about. Um, so obviously she had a really big game against North Carolina, Um really a complete defensive performance. And there was some kind of like level of surprise of like, wow, she really is that good a player. And so I am kind of curious, do you think that she is still underrated even now after winning, you know, World Cups and she's won U.S. Player of the Year awards and stuff like that. But do you think that we still truly appreciate Julie Ertz, the complete player, the way that we should? I don't think so. And I think a part of it, I don't know if I would call it underrated. I think that Julie Ertz has just become such a good soccer player that it's almost become just sort of expected that she's going to have a very good performance on the pitch. And maybe because we all have short attention spans and live in a generation of instant gratification, that because we are like expect like expecting that that it's just not something that maybe is as impressive as it was before and I'm in agreement with you to call that a whole bunch of bull um, because to be able to have those type of performances on such a consistent basis is absolutely what makes Juilliard's one of the two best players in America I tweeted the other day that for me, Crystal Dunn is is the greatest player in American soccer right now, and she should be the face of all American soccer, women's soccer moving forward. And that literally changes game to game. You've got Crystal Dunn or Julie Ertz, and, you know, those, they're homies. They're best friends. They, they go back. They'll probably be in agreement and compliment the other, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the lens of Julie Ertz, I mean, she's doing it for club, and she's doing it for country. And I think that's what makes – a player like her stand out so much because there's so much of that kind of weird argument from pundits sometimes be like, Oh, well you could do it at the club level, but can't you do it on the big stage or you can only do it on the big stage and you can't do it for, for club and vice versa, you know, but Julie Ertz does it for club and country and she does it at multiple positions. I mean, she got drafted for the Red Stars as a center back and she is their starting center back. And, um, you know, she started playing in the midfield for them just because the coaching staff at the time, you know, wanted to try some stuff and the stuff worked out really well, turns out so much. So to the point that they, the club solved the problem for Jill Ellis and was able to slot in Julia Hertz. And all of a sudden she was just became the answer. Julia Hertz was the answer. She still is the answer. So I feel like that's the next breaking tea t-shirt for Julie Ertz. We just have yo, to like make it. slide you, that over. Breaking tea, you can have it. Just hook your girl up with a shirt, man. <laughs> Julie Ertz is the answer. That's it. Um, 
but yeah, no, I'm in agreement of that. I think um, a long time, you and I go way back, and we've been watching this sport for a long time, and I think people were looking at, like, you know, how could you ever replace a player like Lauren Holiday? Who's going to be that player? And there will never, like, we probably won't ever have anyone as prolific. And that's another player who maybe is not, is, want to talk about, you know, not getting the love they should get or being given their flowers when they should have got them. Um, but Julie Ertz is showing us that how vital that role is and how good mm -hmm. she is in it. Um, so yeah, one of the best players in American soccer history by far. Yeah. Yeah. I figured that would be a fun quote, but you also, I think you are probably amongst the people who watch her the most. So it is really interesting to get that perspective because I feel like, you know, I watched a lot of U.S. national team games last year. I went to a lot in person, too. And I feel like it is really interesting. I mean, I, I remember I wrote in 2015 um, during that World Cup, like Julie Ertz, then Johnston, like doesn't exist as her as like her potential without the NWSL. Right. Like that is a player who has ascended to this level of talent really because of the NWSL environment. So it like I think you in order to truly appreciate her, you really do have to look at a much more complete picture around club and country for Absolutely. her. Absolutely. I think that's I think that's why when we're talking about a player like her or by extension talking about a player like Crystal Dunn, I mean mm -hmm. they're so vital because they're so vital to the conversation because of that. You know, the league has provided a platform for them to constantly work on their games and to kind of work their way back into national team form, you know, and <laughs> we're seeing how much that matters still. And in games where we're watching head coach Vlad Wondonovsky in the stands in a mask with a notebook, you know, these games matter, even though they're just, it's a short tournament in small sample size, you know, they, they, it matters guys, you know? So um, I love that those two players, when we look back on their complete history, it's going to include the fact that yes, they're world cup champions, but also because they excelled at a club level, whether that was with Chicago red stars or Washington spirit and North Carolina courage for, for Crystal Dunn, like it's going to be great when we're sort of analyzing the ends of these things but right. for now it's dope we're dope right now we're living in the present and for right now it's dope and they're the greatest american soccer players of all time all right i'll i'll allow it i i share your sentiment about crystal dunn as you well know um all right one more for you you just wrote about Sabrina Flores uh, over at Sky Blue FC and just wanted to uh, have you bring over some of that information, but also just kind of curious. I know Kim McCauley over at All for 11 has had a lot of thoughts about Sky Blue not necessarily having maybe the strategy figured out. I mean, obviously, we have the great Mitch Purse uh, discourse still <laughs> going on around us, but just kind of curious as to what you're actually seeing out of Sabrina Flores, who's a, a player that has proven to be actually very key for them, even though uh, she's she's had an interesting path to making it onto Sky Blue. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was it was great being able to just reach out and say, "Hey, I want to talk to Sabrina Flores," and, and the club, of course, was like, "Yeah, let's make that happen." Um, we love a good collaborator, right, Meg? And uh, <laughs> the stories only get told when there is good collaboration. So uh, being able to reach out and say, hey, I want to talk to this player, which is maybe a player that um, they're not used to getting player requests for, you know, 
and being able to set that up in a timely manner was dope. And we spoke for, for a while and um, I really appreciated uh, a player like her wanting to dive into uh, her journey into sky blue and also her journey within it, because as so many of us know, it's, it's been well reported. It's been well documented. It's been commented upon that, you know, sky blue has been in a bit of a transition. Um, they're trying to come out of what was previously reported around the club is not a great, you know, culture and, you know, GM, Elisa Hughes has really been in, in front of that. And uh, they're currently in the next phase of trying to stay out of that, which is getting, positive results, right? Um, connecting together on the field, creating their establishing and their play of soccer, um, which I think maybe um, some of us want to see. Like, we're so excited to see, you know, NWSL back. We're like, okay, well, we, we want to see it, guys. Like, where, where is it at? Yeah. Um, so for a player like Sabrina Flores, um, I think she's had an interesting couple of games. I think she's been one of the brighter spots for Sky Blue. I know people – get really excited about goals, right? And get really excited about all, all the scoring that can happen in soccer. And while that hasn't happened yet for Sky Blue, there's still some really cool stuff that's happening for them on the pitch. And one of those things is Sabrina Flores. And um, she actually played with them last year as a national team replacement player during the World Cup stretch of the season. And one of those games that she got to play with them was against Chicago Red Stars. So this was a player that had actually been on my radar a little bit for some time because I got to basically see her go up against the Red Stars and kind of wreck them. Um, really was good at holding her defensive shape, 1v1 battles. Um, you know, that's difficult against a team like Chicago. That is a team that's good at maybe kind of counteracting that and breaking down an opposition. So um, to have a young player like that just sort of showcase the level of soccer IQ that she has, I thought was very impressive. Um, we talked a bit about her time leaving Sky Blue as a national team replacement player and heading overseas and why that was important to her. And she ended up going to Spain and spending some time in Sevilla FC for a little while. And I also really love that she just kept it real, basically saying like, look, you know, yeah, I went overseas and I wanted to challenge myself, get out of my comfort zone, you know, not be so in a place where I'm constantly like with friends or family or anything like push myself out of that. But really, I wanted to develop my skills as a soccer player and develop my soccer IQ so that maybe someday I could come back and get a full contract in a place like NWSL. And mm -hmm. she did that. She did that with Sky Blue. They announced before the tournament that they signed her to a two-year contract. And um, we're seeing from her some of the things that she can build on for them, you know. So while everyone, I think, is focused on players who are missing, unfortunately, and Lloyd and Pew, and then also focused on um, maybe a player like Mitch Purse, who is, as we've seen, she's on the back line right now, and people are scratching their heads, and they're like, this player has eight goals. Why is she not in a position to score goals for Sky Blue? What's going on there? And we're hearing that, you know, from head coach Ray Coombe and, and Mitch Parts that they both feel that being at the outside back position is for Sky Blue is going to be the best for them moving forward. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, all that attention on that type of player maybe kind of frees up a player like Sabrina Flores to try some stuff. And, you know, we saw it in that first game. They didn't have a whole lot of chances, you know, but Sabrina Flores was involved in two of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, it was, it was, it was dope to see. And, you know, on a personal level, I, I, I'm always trying to look for players that we can highlight that I don't think are maybe getting the attention that they're getting. You know, I, I love that I was able to highlight her. I love that we were able to, 
to connect and, and talk about things, you know, and, and, and growing up and having a Mexican American experience growing up in this country and, uh, you know, what that, that means to her to, to see so many, you know, Latinas kind of coming into NWSL year in and year out. Like this year, we're seeing her, we're seeing Costa Rican internationals and Shirley Cruz and, you know, and Rocky Rodriguez. And, um, you know, we saw Katie Johnson get a star, a Mexican international with, you know, with Red Stars. So um, it's nice to see all this stuff. And, and she, you know, commented on that as well, how it's much bigger than, you know, just the numbers and the amounts of, of Latinas that are kind of coming in this league, but it's really about just growing our culture within this sport and having it really be respected. So um, I think she's a, a player to watch out for. Um, I refer to her as, you know, a player to that they may not build a, you know, around, but they can definitely build with, you know, and I'm looking forward to that. I, I hope the New Jersey native stays with that team for a long time and they build something special. Yeah. I mean, so as you're, you're talking about this, um, I think you brought up something that we both spend a lot of time thinking about, and that's access to these players. Um, both of us are on the executive committee of the NWSL Media Association, which is just essentially, you know, the organization that represents journalists in order for us to have good and meaningful access. We've, we've both been in a lot of um, Slack conversations with this since our, our coverage is very interesting since it is all remote. Um, but I did just kind of want to bring up a couple of things on coverage since this is something that the two of us like to talk about a lot anyway. But, you know, bringing up the diversity of coverage, we did a panel together, right, with Steph Young and, and Bria Felison, who's also been on this podcast about diversity and coverage. And I feel like, first of all, I've seen a lot more Spanish language coverage get better support during this tournament in a way that I feel like is a real step forward for this league. But I'm just kind of curious as to, you know, we we were talking earlier and, and kind of saying like, it's kind of crazy how good the coverage around this tournament has been, considering that everyone is working remotely, that the player access has been kind of like, a struggle. Um, so I'm just kind of wondering where your head is at in terms of where the the wins are. Is it just the quality of coverage right now? Um, you know, do you, I guess, you know, for me, like it always feels very satisfying when I finally get like that sort of like half an hour call with a player, right. That I can actually like really break down into a feature and be like, here is a story that you might not have heard before. So where, I, you know, we talk about this a lot, but just kind of curious where your your head is at today on this. Yeah, front. no, I mean, I'm in a, I'm, look, man, we talk about it. I'm, you know, I, where I lie, I'm in agreement with you on so many of those things. I think the most simplest way to boil it down is that, you know, if you think the coverage that you're getting around this tournament is good now, imagine what it would be like if some of us who are used to record, like reporting on it on a local level, and having accessibility with coaches and players, how much better it could be. So if you're impressed now, you would have, you know, you could be blown away if it was uh, circumstances were, were different, you know. Um, stories get told and coverage gets better when it's a collaborative effort. And that has to happen on all ends and with all parties um, whether it's the report, you know, the reporter, the editors, the comms people, and the you know the club and the players and the coaches. So, um, 
you know, getting the type of feedback that we get on our work, you can pinpoint as to why it was successful. So if someone is enjoying one of your fantastic pieces on athletic and why you, it's very easy for you to go back and point out why, or if someone enjoyed the piece that I wrote about Serena Flores, it's going to be very easy for me to point out why. So yeah, being open and being transparent helps out a lot in producing some of the best uh, NWSL coverage out there. And I really am kind of choosing to look at some of this newer coverage as victories um, for the league, you know, for, you know, NWSL media at a larger scale, you know, yeah, shout out to Football Ace, you know, shout out to NWSL Analytica, you know, these are, these are people and outlets who have been doing the work for quite some time. And finally, there's soccer happening, there's an NWSL tournament happening, <laughs> and they're showing, um, you know, the type of work that they can do. And it's been very, very impressive. I know not everyone out there speaks Spanish. If you're trying to learn, that's a good way to learn. You know, I mean, hey, you like NWSL, maybe go read some coverage about it in Espanol. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, just shout out to those to those outlets and, and to those media folk who are trying to produce the content. Uh, I've been really enjoying seeing what's been coming out of, of all areas, whether they're podcasts or pre or post game hits on CBS or, you know, more analytical or think pieces on, you know, smaller independent blogs from more indie writers. Um, the NWSL deserves all of it on all levels. Um, I know sometimes people out there feel some type of way and they want to fight for their uh, 4% at the bigger table. Right. But, all the food is good, let me tell you. Um, so try to partake in all of it where you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The other part of this too, in, in terms of coverage, you know, I feel like with Southside Trap Pod, right? You have this, I, I have always been, you know, since the demise of the Boston Breakers. R.I.P. A much, I know, R.I.P. Boston Breakers. Um, a much more nationally focused writer. But being in Chicago and being part of that community, right? Like there's a real relationship between you and Claire, your co-host, and uh, the supporters group for the Chicago Red Stars, uh, Chicago Local 134, right? And I'm just kind of curious, you know, I feel like having, having been on the other side of League Social, right? And having been in this space uh, and been online and probably having been too online at times, um, having that sort of culture, like being embedded without necessarily losing the thing that separates you, right? So having that sort of like, okay, I have a different role in this space and in this culture than the supporters or the fans or the people reading this work. I also have a responsibility to them, but that doesn't necessarily mean forsaking that relationship. And I'm just kind of curious as to how you approach that balance and that interaction with people as you're doing your work and as you're, you know, moving from a, a very local perspective to now a much more national and general perspective on the league. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great loaded question. Um, let's just, I guess we could just take it like bit by bit, you know, first off, shout out to my friend, homie and colleague and co-host Claire Watkins, right. Scam originator. She is, um, fantastic and Southside Trap doesn't happen without her. Um, and that's really like what it was about 
for for me when I you know just diving into covering NWSL like it's it all starts with like a personal connection right I think if you ask so many of us who have been in this game for so long that's where it starts it starts with those personal connections to the sport right and then to the league and then really to each other um I wanted to write about the Chicago Red Stars because I'm shy till I die and I love women's soccer and I saw a connection and I saw this really young player named Sofia Huerta and I was like, okay, I see a, a player out there, you know, you know, Mexican American player. That's the connection for me automatically. I'm paying attention to that 100%. Had a good rookie year. And then I was just in and I just was like, why are, why is there not enough? There's just wasn't enough stuff being written about this particular player for me and the team in itself at the time. I was like, what's going on here? And um, I just kind of threw my head in the ring and it was just like wanting to be able to add another voice to local coverage. And, you know, in time you find your people. You know what I mean? And I say that a lot. You know, it's like you got to find your people, but it's not just about finding your people. You got to find your people and you got to love them. And um, loving that sometimes looks like uh, collaborating on a project. Loving them sometimes looks like, uh, you know, having a really hard conversation and pushing yourself to be better and uh, do better work and do better things and being a better person. And Sometimes loving your people looks like, hey, I really want to make a podcast about the Chicago Red Stars. Do you want to like come along for this ride? And like Southside Trap was just sort of this very like pure organic thing. And it was literally just like me and a microphone in my friend's basement, just literally talking to his walls. And uh, it was cool. Like the concept about it was like cool, but it just wasn't uh, enough. And uh, having somebody like Claire kind of, be able to also just buy into that. I mean, you hear something like Southside Trap and I get this a lot. A lot of people are like, well, what does that even mean? And it just, it comes with an explanation of stuff, you know, like wanting to, uh, you know, the concept of wanting to have a seat at the table is cool, but that's not, that's never been something that I have been searching for in this game. And uh, it was never about that. It was about creating my own stuff and being authentic and true to myself and being able to present a new lens of coverage um, with my own kind of spin on it. So yeah, I wanted to call it Southside Trap because I'm from the South Side and I love the Offside Trap. Like that's one of the best things in soccer. So <laughs> it fused them and we started doing the podcast and have somebody like a Claire Watkins come in and then completely buy into that and love it made this project so much better and it really takes a level of um, trust to kind of bet on yourselves and really put this thing that you love into the hands of other people and that's really kind of what we did with this podcast. I mean, I, I talk about how it doesn't exist with Claire Watkins. It also doesn't exist without the support of the supporters group of the Red Stars and Chicago Local 134. Um, they have been there from the beginning because it's supporters groups, right? It's fans who really show that there is a desire and a need and a want for NWSL media coverage and NWSL media content. Um, so being able to sort of know where you've been, right? 
and not forget that as to where you're going is very, very, very important to me. Um, I said earlier in this podcast of ours that, you know, finding the right opportunity to blend those things together, being someone who is an introduction, who's a 101 to new people coming into this space, while also maintaining a sense of care and dedication for those who have been here nurturing this space for so long and will continue to do so no matter how this league looks. Um, and it's really because of them why the coverage, the content, the podcasting, the broadcasting looks the way that it does now. It's because of those people who have been so vocal and trying to push forth and making sure NWSL always has its place. Um, so it's a balancing act. It's a balancing act. Um, but it, again, man, none of this stuff happens without the collaboration and the love for it. Yeah. I mean, so I can see in your background, the scarf from the 2016 championship, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Which we were both at. Yes. And obviously we were both at the 2019 championship, right? Even the time between those two games, right? Thinking about how much has changed. Yeah. And now thinking about how much has changed since even the 2019 championship to Challenge Cup. Like, again, even with a pandemic, it feels like the coverage is in a completely different and advanced spot from 2019. Like, it's, it is really interesting. And I, I had the same conversation with Crystal Dunn about, like, thinking about interviewing her in the gym at Harvard Stadium and, like, this is Crystal Dunn, right? And like, then she was still like, you know, kind of like the breakout star of the 2015 season. But I mean, you just think about the long grind this has been, right? And how much we have actually achieved. It is, it is, I have tried to like, actually be much more mindful about thinking about how much of what I do right now if you had told me that I was going to be doing this in 2012 when I really started doing this work again, like my head would have exploded. My head would have exploded. Yeah. Same. So <laughs> Same. it's just, it is, it is definitely interesting. And I feel like NWSL culture has gotten itself into this really interesting and just, I mean, it's really funny to like, for me to go back to the athletic and be like this NWSL, like, People are noticing it, I think, in a way that they have not before. Absolutely. So I'm just kind of curious, like, is that, are you having the same sort of moment yeah, with yourself absolutely. too? Like, I mean, dude, yeah. I kicked this off with saying it's been an experience and that, that's all <laughs> encompassing. That's like just sort of an umbrella term to talk about this. I mean, it's, it's been, it's been absolutely wild to see the response to the return of professional team sports in America and that dialogue happened because NWSL made it happen first, you know, and just seeing the response to it has been in the best of ways overwhelming. Um, I wish I could respond to everybody who's, you know, adding me or, or mentioning me or, or mutuals who are DMing me. I'm sorry, guys, if I haven't got back to you because those are, you know, I see you, though. I see you. But, you know, it's it's over, it's overwhelming in the best of ways. I'm, I'm right there with you. If you would have told me how, however, four or five 
whatever years ago that there was going to be an opportunity for me to talk about the league in a place like CBS, I would have told you that you were crazy. Um, Cause we, we were told, we were told that all the time, Meg, I mean, maybe not mm-hmm. verbatim, but we were told, <laughs> we were told that in the way that women's sports is covered in this country, you know, we're told that when, you know, when people like us aren't in the newsrooms, when black women are the most underrepresented in our field, you know, when there's so little storytelling around black athletes, queer athletes, just female athletes in general, you know, we're, that's how we're told. That's how we're told when we see those statistics and when we see the lack of that coverage. So yeah, I would have thought that this was impossible, uh, but because the NWSL exists, it is. Um, And it's so important for women's professional sports in general to just be taken seriously because women's professional sports are sports, man. They're sports entertainment. That's it. So they should just be considered as such. I don't know why it's so hard uh, to consider it otherwise when that's what they have always been, whether it's WNBA or NWSL or, you know, pro fast pitch or National Women's Hockey League, whatever one you want to call about, you know, they're all still young and growing leagues. And that includes the WNBA. That's all, that's all, that's like 20 years old in comparison to so many mm-hmm. other leagues, males, professional sports leagues that are, you know, ancient basically. Um, yep. You know, that these sports, these women's pro leagues are pro leagues. These are professional athletes and um, they should be taken seriously. And I think that the people who find themselves wanting to cover this stuff, you know, can also show that as well, you know, so that's just sort of my piece on it. And that's just sort of where I'm coming on it. You know, I, I feel like I just kind of have that responsibility right now mm-hmm. to yeah. show that the NWSL is a dope <laughs> league and a great, uh, has full of great players and is, uh, you know, playing a great sport. And uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing how everything kind of turns out with the tournament. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we will both be watching since it is our job to do so. But also, I think we both really enjoy doing it. So I mean, it's not really a nice. it's not really a big ask. I love you, dude. <laughs> All right. Well, any any parting words? How about it's going to be in the uh, description of the show. But how about you tell people how to follow you slash where else they can find you. So that way we get you, you know, even more Twitter followers. Um, so that way you can feel the fun pressure. I do. If you don't follow Sandra, if you do follow Sandra, I want you to also look and actually click on her profile photo for what the profile photo actually says, since it makes me laugh every single time I look at it. Um, but yeah, Tell the people where they can find you, please. Yes, I'm going to tell the people where they can find me, but this is only if you're nice, guys. I have no problem (laughs) with the mutes and the blocks. Let me tell you that right now. You can find me and engage with me on Twitter if you're into that. And you can do that at Sanderrera underscore. That's H-E-R-R-E-R-A underscore. I know there's a lot of R's and vowels. 
But yeah, mostly on Twitter is where you can find me with all the soccer takes or all the Chicago takes uh, that you're looking for. Uh, you can find me on your pre and post game hits for game days on, you know, NWSL Challenge Cup uh, with CBS All Access. And you can find me on CBS Sports on the digital editorial side of things where we're hitting you guys up with, uh, yes, player features like Sabrina Flores, but also just your general 101. You need to know how to watch the match. You need to know where to find it. We got you covered. So you can take a look at that. And, you know, if you're super into Chicago, like I'm super into Chicago, you better believe that Southside Trap is still a thing where you can find us. So, you know, go ahead and find the find the patron, join the community. Uh, that's really what we're all about building over with Southside Trap. And um, it's it's open for anyone locally and it's open for anyone who's uh, looking for a community. So go ahead and uh, seek that out if you need something a little more team specific. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for so much of your time. Uh, you're the first episode guest that gets a full episode, which is very exciting. Just doing my part. I'm gonna give you. <laughs> <laughs> Just doing my part. <laughs> All right, Sanda. Thank you for joining us and. Uh, Good luck and Godspeed in both all of the CBS coverage, but also getting sleep yeah. during this tournament. Sleep is very important, and that's a that's a reminder that both of us need, I think. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> Thank you to Sandra for joining us. I'm glad that she was willing to hang around for so long um, for such a great interview. And I really hope that you're watching her on CBS All Access before and after the games. And if you want to follow her work, obviously she just told you where that can happen, but links are also in the episode description. So as always, here's one more thing, and I'm going to go non-soccer related today, even as most of my life really revolves around the Challenge Cup and when I'm able to sleep while not watching the Challenge Cup. But my wife and I have been watching a new documentary on Disney+. Plus. Um, we actually had it before the release of Hamilton because I watched The Mandalorian, but we are now watching The Making of Frozen 2. Um, for the record, we are both pro-Frozen 2, uh, which I somehow is a hot take, but both of us were very much fans. Um, and it's just been this really super fascinating look at the level of detail and the level of care that goes into a movie like this, the creative process. And then really the, the thing that I keep being struck by is the collaborative nature, right? Sandra just talked a lot about being collaborative, but also really how these people aren't precious about their work. Um, it's just really, really enjoyable. It's six episodes long and we're fitting them in around game days. And it's just nice to have something where I kind of turn my brain off of soccer and can actually just sit down and, and watch something else. Episode three is in the books and we've already got a pretty solid Zoom set up uh, for next week's episode. So hopefully you'll stick around for that one. And as always, if you if you liked the episode, we hope you subscribe. You can always follow the follow the pod on the Athletic site and app, plus wherever else you might listen to podcasts on Apple, on Spotify. I know there's at least a couple people who have talked to me about Google Podcasts as well. So wherever you're listening, in theory, we should be there. Um, if you really like it, you can also leave us a review and rate the show. I have been reading some of these reviews. They have been amazing and also slightly hilarious to me. So I do appreciate everyone who has been putting in that extra effort. Uh, if you're still listening to me right now and you still need even more women's soccer coverage and you don't already have a subscription to The Athletic, we still got that deal for you for 40% off your new annual subscription. And that's available at theathletic.com slash fulltime. You can find all of my coverage on The Athletic and follow me on Twitter at It's Meg Linehan. Our podcast producer is Michael Zimmerman. He still wants his sky blue jersey, so Elise LeHue, please restock them. He's waving his, he's just pumping his fist. He's ready to send you his money. 
please give him one. Uh, from The Athletic, I'm Meg Linehan. Thanks for listening. <laughs>